Smarties, Steph and I are super excited to welcome doctors Karen Schultz and Amy Schoenfeld onto the podcast today. They are the co-authors of Beyond the Label, a guide to unlocking a child's educational potential. In this episode, we talk about how usable and effective this book is at disseminating information about the learners that we work with. We discuss the value of parents trusting and valuing their own instincts, the challenges of parenting and how intervention has to be insistent, persistent, and consistent to be effective. We also delve into a conversation about emotional functioning. As a reminder, Smarties, both Steph and I are hiring at our practices. My practice is CAP Educational Therapy Group in Beverly Hills, California, and I am hiring local to us team members only who are able to provide in-person and virtual services to our population of learners with ADHD and executive functioning skills challenges. And Steph is hiring local to her in Redondo Beach, California for both in-person and virtual sessions as well. If you are interested, you can go to our individual websites, www.capedtherapy.com and www.myedtherapist.com to learn more about the opportunity. And we would love to hear from you. So don't be shy and reach out. Now let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer you have to learn smarter the educational therapy podcast hi smarties welcome to episode 203 of learn smarter the educational therapy podcast i'm stephanie pitts and i'm rachel cap and today we welcome the brilliant authors dr karen schiltz and dr amy schoenfeld welcome thank you thank you so much Happy to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you. You guys have written the book, Beyond the Label, A Guide to Unlocking a Child's Educational Potential. And we want to talk a lot about the book today, and we'll link the book in the show notes, of course. But we would love for you to answer who you are, what you do, and who you do it for, just so our audience can get to know you a little bit. Okay. Well, my name is uh, Dr. Karen Schultz. You can call me Karen from here on in, and I'm the other Karen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> put that out there I, my daughter calls me sammy she said that sammy <laughs> is a much better name for me than karen that's hilarious that is hilarious and so you can call me karen in a minute or sammy whatever you feel okay. comfortable <laughs> with i'm i'm a neurodiverse so neuro name diverse so that's fine <laughs> but i am a mother and it's the best thing in the world for me i'm i'm so happy we had her and I was older when I had her and glad I found a man to have her with. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of work. So um, I'm proud mother of my daughter. And second is I'm married to a wonderful man. And third is I play accordion, which I'm very proud of. I love accordion. So anytime you want me to play a polka for you, I will. I love it. You know? Amazing. And, but yeah, I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and basically my population is assessing children and young adults. So I start about four years old to about 28, 29. And um, I love what I do. You know, we all have brains, right? But we all think differently. We all feel differently. We all learn differently. And The whole field is fascinating for me when I see a child, you know, or young adult. And what we do in our field is we use measures to look at thinking, learning, and feeling. That's about it. 
Those are the three things we do. We look at a child's strengths and we all have strengths. Thank goodness, right? I'd be in tears right now. (laughs) And we sure have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. We're not perfect. Uh, We learn to manage our weaknesses, right? And that's the beauty of the assessment to help parents and, you know, their youth understand things they're good at and things that take a little more work. And the things that are harder for a child, there are so many ways we can help them. You're educational mediation therapist. Thank God you're in this universe. (laughs) We owe a lot to you because you're the gateway I call for education. You really are. And, And I thank you, Steph and Rachel, for your hard work and training others because you are the bridge to success. You're the gateway to optimal health, I would say, for these children and youth. And uh, you know what Amy and I do, I don't know if Amy has a second or third name, so I'll just call her Amy. But um, you know what Amy and I do is we really have different ways of looking at kids and assessing their thinking, learning, and feeling abilities and making sense of it so we can understand if they need help with something, what it is they need help with, and then what are evidence-based ways or research-based ways to help the children be at their best basically not perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but you know, at our best. So I'm um, Amy Schoenfeld. You can call me Amy. I don't have a special additional name. I have a lot of nicknames, you know, so if you, you know, want to get unique, feel free to go for it. (laughs) And I also am a mom. I have a 13 year old and a child turning 17 tomorrow. Wow. And it is amazing watching them. And I learned so much about my work um, by having kids and being with them every day and, you know, having watched them go through this pandemic and really understanding how it was affecting our school age and uh, high school age adolescent kids. I trained under Dr. Schultz. So she was a mentor of mine and I was very fortunate to have her in my life. And so I've chosen to stick with her for the long run (laughs) (laughs) and work side by side. And, and, um, she has known me since that 17 year old was in my tummy. So, Mm, so she's been with me alongside for the ride for a long time. And, When I was taking care of the kids when they were very young, she told me about this incredible idea she had for a book. And from there on, the idea was brought to life. And I was very fortunate to be invited along to write this book with her because it was such an important topic. Which is the perfect segue into tell us what led to this book. That's a big question for me. (laughs) I almost feel like I'm going to cry. And I'll tell you why. Seeing parents come in and when you know something's not quite right, but you don't know what it is. I saw so many tears. It's so painful um, when parents would come in. And what I found out after a while was everyone saying the same thing. And they would say to me, why didn't we get this done earlier? Why didn't we know about neuropsychological assessment? The same thing happens to us. Same question, yep. Yeah, that idea, those comments and the tears, which was the visual, was one of the seeds that just kind of planted in my brain. And I thought to myself, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why do I know about breast cancer and the signs of breast cancer? When you think about it, women know the signs of breast cancer, right? 
the information gets pounded in us, no matter where we live in this country, correct? It's right from the very beginning when you're a teenager. And I thought to myself, well, this is just terrible. Why don't parents know the early warning signs of a child with a learning issue or an emotional issue or like a brain issue? You know, I'm like, why isn't this out there? Why is this stuck in a library? And I thought to myself, gosh, some of the pediatricians I talked to didn't even know the information. You know, many of them don't know what dyslexia is. They think it's a child that, you know, mixes up numbers and letters. Oh, and as you know, as education patient therapists and Amy, well, that's a myth. That's a total myth. That does not mean you have dyslexia. So those two seeds got planted in my brain. And then the third seed was I was in Hawaii at a conference in neuropsychology. And, you know, I did a needs assessment, right? You know what that means? You start asking around. (laughs) What do you think of this idea? Because I wanted to see if I was like imagining things or if this was really needed, right? Because I had to pitch this to a publishing company, right? So you have to have a need in the universe. Otherwise, they're not going to accept your idea. By the end of that night, I talked to maybe 100 people what they thought of my idea, you know? So um, when I came home, I decided, yep, this is going to happen. I felt it was a mission to start this process and make science real. Science is full of jargon. People don't understand it, right? My neighbor at home doesn't understand it. How can we make this real? How can we get this information out on helping parents, not only parents, but teachers, I've read this book, teachers, you know, educators, even clinicians, Mm -hmm. they don't know a lot of this information to, you know, principals and et cetera. So, and caregivers like grandparents, right? Grandparents take a lot of the load. I mean, honestly, my mother did a lot of caregiving because I was working, right? It's important for grandparents to understand the early warning signs. So that's how it all started. And it just, got me so energized and Amy knows this and I got me so excited, so energized that this was something I could give to others and make it real and have them understand it. It seems like you had a very similar mission to us when we started the podcast and I'm hearing you speak and hearing the passion behind it. And that's how we felt. And, you know, your medium was a book and our medium was podcasting and releasing content weekly for our audience to sort of level the playing fields and get everybody the information that they need at that particular moment. Because just like with our podcast, you don't necessarily have to listen in order. You can go to the episodes that you want, but you can do the same thing with your book, which I know we are going to talk about. Yeah. So the thing that stood out so much for me was when the problem is a big problem Mm. section, right? Because there's problems that very often we hear teachers say, oh, they'll probably outgrow it. And the parents will go, okay, we've been waiting years for them to outgrow it. And that doesn't seem to be happening. Or every time, every year, there's something that they will outgrow and they never seem to do it. Every time we hear it from the parents. And just giving it a level of, okay, This is kind of a problem, but you can still move on versus this problem is now a big problem. Right. And you really need to address it. And that's what I loved about the list. It is exactly what 
you could be seeing that you might not realize if you're a parent and not well-versed in the education world about what might show up for each chapter, each section that you created. And I love a good list. So (laughs) I immediately was like, yes, I love this list. Like I want to like take it out and like put it all on one piece of paper because the lists are so good. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things that happens is the parents will be told by some of the other trusted adults in their world, like you said, you know, I, I see them catching up. They didn't have this before and now they have it. Just practice the reading over the summer. Practice those math facts over the summer. We often see that in the report cards, you know, it shows there's some difficulty, but just continued practice over the summer. And so the parents feel like they'll be overreacting if they take some action to get their child assessed or to get them some intervention. And so being able to point out when you see something that's occurring on a regular basis and it's happening across settings and you're starting to see your child have behaviors where they didn't have them before, we start to realize it's time to take some action. Yeah. You know, what I think is important, we're all on the same page, is parents need to be their child's advocate. They need to take charge. And I have so many cases, like this week, you know, the pediatricians say, well, just wait a bit. You know, Johnny may grow out of it. And what I find, and I honestly had to build this in myself, this was a job for me as a mom, is you have to trust your gut. Mm Mm-hmm. And like this morning, I had a parent interview concerning the eight-year-old. And, you know, I asked them, when did you think something wasn't quite right? Not that you were told. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, when did you know your child had trouble with eye contact? Okay. So the mom says, you mean you want to know what I think? Yes. Right. Because you're the mom. You're the anchor point. She says to me, you know, it was like a year, maybe before that. Oh, that's important information for me, right? As a clinician. But I think that parents tend to underestimate their value and their power. I couldn't agree more with that. When I was pregnant with my son, we had a family member visit. And, you know, it's like COVID, so we weren't seeing anybody. And so these conversations stick. And she looked at my husband and she's like, when Rachel has an instinct, you have to go with it because she's going to know things and you're not going to know how or why, but go with it. And I totally see that now with my son. I know things are going to happen before they happen. Right. I agree about having the list to go be able to really tell as a parent what is a big problem and what isn't. I agree with you completely that parents rely, I used to teach preschool and the amount that parents relied on me was shocking to a 23 year old Rachel who had very limited life experience beyond academia. And frankly, you can be a preschool teacher without a lot of training. That really surprises people. It's a very professional job to have without a lot of training. And the mentorship was everything and totally led right into my career now. Parents have value. And I keep going back to what I see. I'm in the trenches every day, you know, like you guys. And I'd say 90% of parents don't trust their own instincts. 
like Rachel, you're mentioning, they'll say to me, oh, can you just talk to the teacher? Mm-hmm. Okay, now why is that? You know, parents really need to have active dialogue with their kids. They have to be there for them because they're truly the anchor point. But that was one of the reasons for this book was to help parents be powerful in their instincts as a parent, as a mom or dad or grandparent, and not to underestimate their value as a human being and a human being with opinions on most important thing in the world, their child. They're relying on the quote unquote experts around them. And there's also cultural things at play about why parents don't take a long time to speak up or defer or don't feel comfortable and confident. So, you know, having a book like this of something they can pinpoint to, it's validating. Can I read you a quote from your own book? Yeah, sure. Are you guys okay with that? <laughs> awesome. In my practice, we specialize in learners with ADHD and executive functioning. My practice is CAP Educational Therapy. And this so resonated with me. So it speaks to our experience in the practice. I just wanted to thank you for putting it in writing and because now I can feel validated too. Interventions can reduce the impact of your child's weaknesses. However, strategies must be taught explicitly and systematically so your child can learn, remember, and apply the strategies to classrooms and home settings. Okay, we're all good with that. We get that. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Research has shown that children with ADHD and executive functioning deficits may be able to accurately describe an effective strategy when doing cognitive activities, but still fail to use the strategy, which we see all the time. It can be very frustrating, but what I think we need to remind ourselves is it's frustrating for the learner as well. Therefore, strategies need to be taught to children explicitly and implemented on a consistent basis to achieve success, which is why when we're always talking about educational therapy and parents want to come and here, just teach my kid and then they'll go do it. They're never going to go do it. That's not a realistic expectation. These strategies need to become as ingrained as brushing your teeth. And I just wanted to thank you from the point of view of my specialization for putting that in writing because it's what we see and it's what we know. And when it's on the page in front of us, it's so helpful. It's so helpful to point to something like that. So I just wanted to read to you from your own book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, thank you so much for pointing that out. And I think it's hard to be a parent. Oh, gosh. Assessment is just easy, right? I mean, it's what I do, but to be a mom and to be an active mom and a mom that's really there, not halfway there, but really there, you know, like this evening after a long day, it takes work and it is, it's a lifetime of habits and we have to choose our own menu, right? We can determine what kind of parent we want to be. We really can, but it's going to take work. And it's just like the strategies you teach children in educational mediation, you know, you have to keep using those strategies. You have to keep using those habits. And we have to keep reminding them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes more time than people imagine that it's going to take. Can you just say that one more time? It takes a lot more time than people imagine. And I even remember this with, you know, my kids when they were younger and I would think, gosh, you know, getting them to sleep on time, this takes forever. Even with everything I know, When I was parenting, things took so much longer than I ever imagined. And the same goes for these strategies. And they need to understand how they need to repeat it 
they need to be putting in their practice daily. One of the unfortunate things is when parents come to us having spent a lot of money on homework support where the systematic and explicit sorts of strategies are not implemented. And so they believe their child's getting the support they need. But unfortunately, it's not matching the child's true needs. And so that can be a tough one. So my question is, and this is just like a thought experiment for all of us, because we are incredibly explicit on this podcast. We're explicit when we are onboarding new parents. We are trying to help everybody to understand that this is a marathon, not a sprint. We're not going to get to the end goal in like six sessions. It's just not realistic. It took them a long time to dig this hole. We're going to slowly put the dirt back in and rise up to the top, right? So what are some of the things that we can do as a profession to help parents understand this component of how long and how systematic and we have to be consistent, insistent, and persistent, right? Mm -hmm. There was always this myth out there that when you have a baby... It's very hard when the kids are really young. And then the myth is they'll get easier as they age. I didn't find that true at all. No, it's not. I thought that it was really easy to put Grace to bed, right? Even through the colic. I mean, you know, no sleep, but, you know, you're functioning. What I really realized that as she got older, it took more work from me. And it took so much energy, like Amy was saying. And I was so tired all the time because to be an active parent, it's work is what I'm saying. And there are these wonderful moments, right? We have really, it's that consistency of habits every day. And when you see someone like an educational therapist, that's a lot of work that you guys do and give out. It is so much work for a parent to carry through and be consistent with what you teach so it gets ingrained. I mean, I am just thankful you're around because you're not only treating the child, you're treating the parent. Mm -hmm. We don't come out and tell them that necessarily, (laughs) but yes. (laughs) In response to the, the question is you can often see that a lot of the parents before coming to you have been serving as their child's, let's say their executive function system. Always. Right. How much time and energy has that taken from the parent? And what has it done to their relationship? You know, yes, it's better to work with a professional than try and serve as that therapist for your kid for several reasons. But in seeing how long it takes to affect change or to create something that a child can make as routine as brushing their teeth or generalize across settings, it takes effort and time. And they should know by their own example, if they reflect on it, when they've had a situation that they've spent so much effort and time training their child, how long that has taken. And one of the first things parent will say to me when I refer to an ed therapist is, how many sessions a week do I need? And for how many years will I see them? And I say, that's for the educational therapist to determine after meeting with you and your child. They're very concerned about time and how quickly things will turn around. But back to what we were saying is that as a parent, we know (laughs) that it takes a long time to learn a new strategy and to generalize it and to start and to modify it as you develop. Absolutely. So I want to just jump right into a question that I had about emotional functioning. You guys talk about 
emotional functioning in the book. My question to you is how do we know when emotional functioning is getting in the way versus a diagnosed learning disability? That's a great question. That's the beauty of the neuropsych assessment. I'm thinking of a case I had, like actually feedback I had today with parents. This is a 16-year-old that came in, and she self-diagnosed herself as ADHD, attention deficit hypertrophy disorder, because this teenager thought that she had trouble with focus and Googled the symptoms. And she was adamant she had ADHD. Okay. And she comes in for testing. And, you know, on the testing, this is a common question that we have is how much is anxiety? How much is depression? Is it big enough to affect, negatively impact the attention? Or is, does a child have attention issues and anxiety? You know, or is the anxiety really affecting the attention? So that's what neuropsychologists that's in our cookbook. That's what we're trained to do is to differentiate all these symptoms. And with this 16-year-old, when I gave feedback today, everyone thought she was ADHD, including her doctor, her pediatrician. It turned out she wasn't ADHD. It turned out she had generalized anxiety. And what I mean by that is big anxiety. I mean, all 16-year-olds are anxious right? Correct. All of them are anxious. There's a peer group and there's social media and there's all this stuff going on and learning and tests, right? But the issue is with her, she did not have ADHD. Everyone was wrong. She had this big anxiety, I call it, this generalized anxiety, big anxiety. And she had these like islands of depression, by the way, that were affecting, negatively affecting the, the focus. So it's so incredible to me to be part of that child's life and that family's life to help them through that path because she could have been down a wrong treatment plan for many years to come and her work would have suffered. Now we know why she is not able to show what she knows on examinations because she gets that big anxiety prior to the examination and freezes. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, you know, one of the big components of a neuropsych exam is that we review records. We look to the child's past. And sometimes you can see there might have been evidence of a learning disorder early on that wasn't picked up on and the child was happy at that time early in those years. And then as it snowballs and they haven't had any intervention, then we start seeing this anxiety and depression come in. And so looking at the history is pretty critical in sort of being able to parse out what came first. And sometimes they occur, like Karen said, it's comorbid and and things can occur together and they go hand in hand. But really getting a detailed history is critical for understanding, was this child this happy-go-lucky kid? And then do we start seeing behaviors as the years went on and the demands academically went up and they're expected to be more independent and they're comparing themselves to their peers and now they're feeling like, they're lost and they become the class clown or they're acting out or they're, you know, isolating and having tummy aches before school. So it's really critical to see what went on, getting those records and talking to the parents and seeing how they were doing from kindergarten. And so we can do a little detective work there. 
And that's where you guys provide tremendous value for the work that we're doing because it's a chicken or the egg and you guys can sparse that out. So I just wanted to point out a couple of other sections about this book that make it incredibly readable for both parents and professionals. And again, we'll link the book in the show notes. I think Steph has already linked it. But I wanted to bring up the fact that within all the sections, there are accommodations that parents can go and advocate for. With the help, oftentimes, if there is an educational therapist on the team, they can help sort of prioritize what would be most meaningful soonest. And then also the appendix is a particularly great resource for parents and professionals looking to expand their interventions and resources. So I just wanted to thank you and point that out as well. So our favorite question How can our audience get in touch with you if they want to follow up with you or ask you guys a question? We're at Golden State Neuropsychology. That's in Calabasas, California. Office is 805-379-4939. You know, we're around and you can Google us too, you know, Golden State Neuropsychology. You'll see the website and we have a little blog going on, a neuroblast, you know, we write little pieces in there. And, but yeah, we welcome any questions and, you know, our, our mission is to help youth be at their best, be at their optimal level and to be most important, very happy. Yes. And to help the family and home life become healthy and happy too. Everybody benefits. At the end of the day, we often say that, you know, we've got so many recommendations, but we also need to let these kids be kids. I love that. And that's a perfect way to sign off. So please do our signature sign off. Have a great week, Smarties. There you go. Have a great week. (laughs) 